Okay, so we've gotten to the end now. I, I, we're a little bit shorter today. Uh, the end of that um, that first um, that first article, article number one, and uh, I wanted to lead you through some of the technical aspects and the important ideas um, of the Trinity of God. And I know that some of this is very uh, very um, difficult to process, and uh, you may need to spend more time uh, thinking through this. But are there any questions now that I can answer about the idea of the Trinity, or the application of the Trinity, or um, any any associated ideas of the Trinity, or anything that came up in these notes that I can um, th- that I can answer for you tonight. Um, yes. Uh, in Genesis one, where God seems to talk with Himself in the creation. Right. Account, Let us. They never took that to be to be plurality. plurality. A couple things here. There, it's important that we we remember that uh, there is a progress in revelation in the Bible. That that um, as God as God uh, patiently reveals Himself to to Israel and to the true Israel, there is a there is an increasing understanding of who God is, and um, I don't think that we need necessarily to um, believe that the Hebrews had a notion of the Trinity. Like our understanding of the Trinity isn't contingent upon the Jews' um, understanding of the Trinity. Um, There is progressive revelation. Uh, Things were revealed to the church that they didn't know. I mean, and part of that, just even in the the gospel, right? I mean, the, the gospel was the mystery hid for ages. They had no clue. They had no clue that the kingdom of God was going to be for the for all these Gentiles, you know, all around. Although that there was hinted, it's hinted at throughout the Old Testament, right? It's hinted at everywhere. But Paul says this was hidden for ages now revealed, the mystery of the gospel that this dividing wall has been broken apart in Christ, and now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Um, so um, I think it's very very hard to argue that the Jews read that as being. Um, and I think even beyond that, I think it's difficult to make any uh, positive argument for the Trinity on the basis of um, the plurality of language in Genesis 1. I think generally, because this is talking about kingship in Genesis 1 and 2, this is the, the, the kingship of, of, of God, that it's the royal we. Let us. Let us. Right? So the queen is, let us do this. It's, it's that kind of language that the poet's using to convey royal, uh, royalty rather than, than plurality of persons. Yeah. It's often, often people will use that passage as, a, as an argument for the Trinity, and it's not well-founded, I don't think, um, it, because of, of what, the, the, again, what the author is trying to do there in, in talking about the monarchy of God and using the royal we. Yeah. Less of a question, more could you comment on when we look at creation, not to take away from what Usher says, yes. not to use it as an example, but when you look at creation, you see diversity and unity all around. This right. Be in a stool, you take a part of the stool, this is not the stool by itself, it needs unity and diversity to find its definition, its wholeness. You look at language, yes. you need words, yeah. words cannot, but one word cannot stand on its own, it needs other words to define itself. Yeah. Whole, whether 
natural world, grammar, whatever it might be. Mm. And some might say that, um, can you just comment on that and the Trinitarian God who made the universe? Right. And his, if I can use the word, his thumbprint right. on, on all of creation. Mm. Not that that defines and helps us um, give a clear definition of the Trinity, but at the same time, why is that? You can't ignore that when you look around. No, no. Um, it, it's not that there aren't hints, I think, and there's not hints. And um, like the, these, these, these um, analogies that I listed here, fire and light and heat and, and sun and moon, you can kind of get, yeah, I see where that's coming, how that kind of gropes towards the, the knowledge of the Trinity. Um, but what, I think what, what Usher is saying and what, um, what Nazianzen is saying is that, is that they're so limited in that yeah, they, they do talk about um, plurality and unity, but the indivisibility of, of, being, of being both of them at the same time, that, that you can't, um, like the, the chair and the three, the three legs, um, it's the, the chairness of the chair, I guess, um, it's, it's always going to be a chair and you don't get the, 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 the legs don't stand on themselves, I suppose. Yeah. Like the, the three legs aren't a thing in themselves, um, apart from the chair. And I think that's what he's, this is the word, the mystery of the Trinity comes in is that the son is a thing of himself apart from the Father, and yet indivisible with the Father. He, he can't be divided from the Father, uh, that the essential unity is still necessary. And that's the idea that, that nature just can't express kind of thing. That's the mystery. Um, and, you know, I, I, I agree, John. I think that, that there, there are hints, that, that God has put kind of hints in, in creation about these things. Um, such as these examples here, water and the wellhead and whatnot. And Augustine will, go, will take a long time to talk about how humans being made in, in the divine image reflect the Trinity. He talks about understanding and memory and will and parts of us that reflect who God is kind of thing. And um, yeah, certainly there are, there are, um, there are uh, reflections of that, I suppose. But I, I think what Usher's getting at and as the answer is that they're they're actually they're still radically incomplete. They don't lead us to the mystery, um, and they will always they will always somehow fall short, I guess. But I agree. I, I think you're right. I think there's things that point to. They just don't completely capture it. Yeah. Lloyd. Uh, two questions. The first one's simpler than the second. The first one is: Is there do you still see a place for like natural theology? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And then a second. The... <laughs> no, because I, I'm trying to work through this, but um, the second would be how far would you extend um, the Trinity? Because. Um, so, okay, so let's go back to your first question. The, 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 um, to speak in Calvin's terms, he says that there's a sense of the divine, the sensus divinitatis in everyone. Every single person has a sense of the divine. It's inescapable. Even the most radical denier of God 
has a sense of the divine and they bury it. They bury it and they cover it and they, they, they scorch their consciences. But God has impressed on everyone through nature a sense of the divine. Um, it, so natural theology, yes. But as, what does it do? According to Paul, all that natural theology does in Romans 1, it renders us inexcusable. It renders us without excuse. That's all that it does. It doesn't lead us. It can't lead us to, to saving knowledge of God. That's, um, it, it, can't, um, it, it can't bring us to the new birth. It can do nothing of that. It just makes us inexcusable before God. Um, in the life of the redeemed, um, well, actually what Calvin says, that, that uh, Calvin says that, that the, this nature was meant to be a school to lead us to piety. It was meant to lead us to piety, to love God. That, so in, in the redeemed, then, the sinful heart can't do that. It just, is, it, just it, it, it understands there's a God, and uh, it can't do anything with that, and it, they're just rendered uh, inexcusable. For the redeemed, I think there's a path back now that the study of nature can lead us to the love and to, to piety, to, to, to the fear and to the love of God. Um, so yes, in, in, in the redeemed, yes. But in, in the unredeemed, there's no real, yeah. Because all that you can do, talking to your neighbor, right, arguing from nature, like you, so Jim goes and he's talking about the squirrel in the tree and, and, and all about the squirrel in the tree and what the squirrel in the tree means and stuff. All that will do, according to Calvin, <clears throat> is render the, na- the neighbor inexcusable. They'll, they may acknowledge yeah, there's a God, but um, it won't lead them anywhere else. That's... That ref- the reformed tradition. Yeah, I'm just. So and and so, what's your second the I, second I'm point? I'm stuck on the extension of like counting the Trinity. So um, I was reading McGrath during the week, um, Darwinism and the Divine, um, and he he was saying that natural theology should be um, expressly trinitarian. Expressly. Trinitarian. Right. The, the impasse that I'm, that I'm at is that... McGrath said this. McGrath, yeah. The impasse that I'm at is that, I won't go into Paley, but um, part of Paley's problem was a theological problem um, that in terms of the science worldview, everything's static. Um, but when it comes to evolution, things are active and moving. Now, I know that McGrath is pushing like the scientific Darwinism compatibility with natural theology, the impasse where I'm stuck is how far can you carry the Trinitarian concept in natural theology because like well, if, according if to we that. believe the incarnation is all that it is, the word became flesh. Uh, I'm not sure if you can carry the... What are we talking, incarnation now or are we talking Trinity? The Trinity in relation to like, the incarnation. I thought... Or the Trinity in... So McGrath is saying that, that when we do natural... So natural theology... You never know what we're talking about here. So natural theology and... and um, this is called general revelation. How God's revealed through nature. And then special revelation is theology in response to scripture. Working through scripture and understanding God. Natural theology means how, do, how, how much of God can we know through looking at the squirrel on the tree. Special... Or theology proper is how can we know God in Scripture kind of thing. So, what McGrath is saying, according to according to Lloyd, is that all of our natural theology 
all of our study of nature, should be quote-unquote Trinitarian, should lead us to an understanding of the triunity of God. Okay, so that's kind of what John was getting at, that, that uh, in what, in, and to what extent should our study of the universe lead us to the knowledge of God's, of God's triunity, and are there signs and emblems there that can point us to that? Um, the older theologians, um, I think, distrusted that. Um, Usher, Usher distrusts it, but it's a matter of extent, I think. It's simply a matter of extent. How how much of that can you see? How how you know how much of it is clear? There there may be shadows. Um, there may be emblems. There may be signs pointing us to that. Um, but um, you know, certainly, you don't get what you get in Scripture. You can't get that. I don't think. It's mystery. This is this is Usher's point, right? That it's it's the highest mystery of divinity. We just can't get it, and and so I think when you are arguing with our this for me it comes back down to evangelism. Because there's going to be a few things that they're going to come at us with, right? They're going to come at us with questions about sexuality, and gender. They're going to come at us with uh, questions of the authority of the Bible, you know, and try to bring us to the circular argument. Why is, why, is, why is the Bible authoritative? Well, because God wrote it. How do you know God is, God is real? Because it's in the Bible, right? And we're, 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 you know, we're doing this, right? And they're going to bring us to the, well, the Trinity. That's nonsense. Argue the Trinity for me. Now, I think what these guys are saying is that if we depend upon natural theology as a valid way to explain the Trinity to somebody, it's always going to ultimately fall short. And that scripture alone can clearly and authoritatively demonstrate the Trinity for us. So yeah, let's say nature can, can go here. Only scripture can take us this high to the full revelation of the triunity of God. That's the thing. I think that's what, what Usher's um, getting at here um, and, and, um, and Nancy Anson. So if McGrath says that all of our all of our uh, natural theology should be Trinitarian, fine, fine. But that doesn't mean it's going to take you to the same level as what Scripture says, or that we can understand the Trinity in, in the same way that Scripture, right? Yeah. So it's, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a matter of limitations, I think. Yeah, I'm just, the question is about how far can you apply to the expansion? I think he's not, I think what he's trying to do is saying that in the space between natural theology and science, the questions that science can ask, that's a place where natural theology can fill questions of meaning and stuff. Right, yeah. So I, just, I, I, I personally have found so many, so many, I've heard people, like I heard a guy talk about the, 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 the cross as the, so I, I've already kind of probably spoken too much about the cross and the Trinity. This preacher said the cross was like the Trinity and it like the atom, and what happened was the atom was split at the cross, and you had a you had a nuclear explosion, kind of that you know that <laughs> somehow the bomb dealt with dealt with sin, it just kind of obliterated sin or something. It was it was, and so I, I kind of you, you when you start to kind of press press natural theology in that way, it leads you into absurdities, I think, in a way that scripture doesn't. Um, 
So it's a matter of to what extent. If we recognize, if if we recognize that it can only take us so far, that the 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 fire, the light, and the heat is a glimmer, right? I'm actually saying the other way. I, I as Christians, not for an evangelistic tool right. or or a foundation for argument, but as Christians, I believe in faith through special revelation. Yes. God is triune. Yes. Then, as I'm not a scientist, yeah. but with yeah. my eyes and everything, I look at grammar, I look at language, and I go, wow, why? Yes. I yeah. see the connection, and I just was wondering how yeah. much of that, like I see that fingerprint everywhere. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's a much, yeah, that's a much safer place to be. And and that's what Augustine says, right? That I, I that I, uh, 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 credo ut intelligus, I believe in order to understand. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point, John. Right, yeah. you see the scarlet thread. Yeah, we, we, and we can see that you know we see Christ through all right. the Old Testament, exactly. where the Jews mm. obviously then didn't see, right? So when you look, uh, John's saying with the special revelation, you can see. Yeah, that's exactly it, and it, and it supports and and builds my faith. Yeah, because exactly. I see that. Yeah, the faith first, the understanding grows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Any other questions about about the material tonight? What were you saying Sorry. about um, Revelation twenty-two? So in Revelation twenty-two. This is um, in in the in scripture. In scripture, the river is often um, often identified with with the spirit of God. Um, and so we have we have in Genesis twenty two the river flowing out of the throne and it ends the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, which is uh, terminology for the Father and the Son. So that idea of, of procession from Father and Son is is seen in Genesis twenty two. By the way, this is speaking of the river. Um, I've often said that for for spirit fullness in the in the Old Testament, talking about how to get into the river, right? Very charismatic term. Let's get into the river. Psalm 1, right? You want to be a tree planted by the river? You want, to, you want to be in the river? What do you do? Psalm 1. Meditate on the Word. You get in the words. Meditation, study of the Word, is the path to, to being in the river, according to, uh, according to um, uh, Psalm 1. Um, and that's, that's something that... that Many of the charismatic streams have forgotten that it's experienced somehow apart from apart from the word. Um, so there's just another another idea of the river, the life of God, and someone. Um, what we didn't talk about tonight is the way that the spirit, and I don't want we can't go into this tonight, but the way that the spirit always draws attention to Christ. The work of the spirit is always to draw attention to Christ, to point us to Christ. He will bring my words to you. He will. He will glorify me, Jesus said. Um, and so whenever we're, we're experiencing some manifestation of church where it's not Christ and the Son that's being exalted, or whatever spiritual activity isn't about honoring the Son, then we ought to be suspicious about what kind of activity is going on. And the, the most spirit-filled church will always be the most Christ-centered church. Um, so all of that stuff... Without without wanting to kind of get into to um, mud raking and whatnot, but all of that 
all of that charismatic, just experience for experience sake, to experience God, um, is highly questionable and dubious. The Spirit moves in our lives to bring us closer to Jesus. That's how He works. He applies He applies the life, uh, uh, grace, the grace of Christ to us, um, and he, he honors the Son. He doesn't put Himself in the spotlight. He's a He is the spotlight, right? The Spirit of God is the spotlight shining on Christ. He doesn't shine on himself. He doesn't say, hey, everybody, the Holy Spirit is here. Time to begin the party, right? He doesn't do that. (laughs) But that is the experience of many charismatic churches. The Holy Spirit's here, time to begin the party. Um, And that's that's very, very troubling. Um, And we ought to be suspicious of that always. The other thing I didn't mention tonight, just one, one final note, is that is that if we are to know God, if we are to know God, um, it is always and only through Christ. It is always and only through Christ. We never try to see the Father outside of Jesus. We don't. Outside of Christ, Calvin says, the knowledge of God makes our hair stand up on end. Outside of Christ, he's always terrifying. So any, any kind of movement of church life or, or theology where we're, we're kind of talking about God without Christ, outside of Christ, um, is, is uh, leading us astray. We only always seek to know, it's always God in Christ. God in Christ. Never apart from that. And so we need to be very wary of books, <coughs> teachings, churches, experiences that, that, that are, are trying to kind of talk about God. This is where natural theology can go astray, right? If it's, if it's like, right if we go from Christ and then seeing the works of God. Um, but if we try to go from the works of God just to kind of speculate about God, we'll, we'll get ourselves into to trouble, um, invariably. It's always f- focused on Christ, um, and uh, that's important. Any other questions? I'd like to just make a, a comment yeah. on the, uh, and maybe read a scripture about yeah. uh, right at the beginning there that how come we then to, by, how come we then by knowledge, how come by we then knowledge of this mystery? God has revealed it in the Holy Scripture unto the faithful. Mm. And, uh, would you mind? No, no, not at all. No. Corinthians, because I was thinking about it all night. Um, <clears throat> this is First uh, Corinthians two six. Hmm. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed. Before the ages, for our glory. Hmm. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Hmm. 
Mm. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Hmm. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual or by means of spiritual words. Hmm. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Hmm. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Mm. Amen. Amen. That's very good. And there Paul not saying that the natural, not meaning just human, but the firstborn. <clears throat> Those who've only been born once, right? They're, they're, those who haven't been born from above have no access to these things. That's very important for us. That, that no one's going to actually comprehend the Trinity of God without being born again. They won't. They simply won't get it. They won't understand the, the cross, the any of this stuff. The fall, it's folly to them, right? It's simply folly. Um, and so we, we need the author to be resident in our hearts and new natures to be able to, uh, to get to the root of these things. Uh, so that's a great scripture, Jim, for us tonight. Well, let's say, let's say a word of prayer tonight. Father God, we're thankful for the word of God. And we thank you that you're a God who is greater than we are. We thank you, Lord, that, that these... These truths of who you are do uh, dwarf us and make us feel small and make our minds feel meager and impoverished. <clears throat> Lord, we strain. We, we, we try to, to grasp, Lord, the, the knowledge of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we find ourselves, Lord, um, uh, so very, so very uh, incapable, Lord, of, of comprehending these things. And we know that's because of your vastness and your greatness. Lord, help us to, to take from this, Lord, that um, you are worthy to be worshipped and adored. And I pray, O oh God, that you would create in us, all of us, O oh God, an increased spirit of piety and adoration, a desire to view you, Lord, in all of your fullness and glory as Father, who begets, as Son who acts, and as Spirit who applies. Help us to honor you in the dignity of each of these persons, and to so live with you, O God, in the true knowledge of who you are. And so, God, we commit our ways to you now. I pray for your blessing on each one here, and on all of those absent. I pray that you keep us all in the love of God, and deliver us from idolatry. And help us, O oh God, to give ourselves to the kingdom. 
For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.